consumption. It is the annual review of the year. Hey! I'm Rhys Jones. I'm Terence Marshall Edwards. And I'm Matthew Ford. And what we're doing tonight is we are talking about the films of 2022. And what we normally do, if you're regular listeners to our now annual podcast, The Way Things Are Going, we talk about the good, the bad, and the downright ugly of the year. Should we start with the good? Oh, yeah. Think- Let's start cheerful. Can I just say one thing quickly? There's been quite a few films this year that I've not got round to seeing so if anyone like is listening and will say oh well, what about this what about that well depends what the other boys have seen but i i've got a list of films that i haven't seen from last year that i really desperately want to see that they are everything everywhere all at once glass onion oh, gray man the north man wakanda forever maybe just because why not see avatar 2 i've not seen it. i don't want to see it but i haven't seen it but they are that's the big list of stuff i've not got around to seeing you fancy over three hours of Smurfs? No, I don't. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. I don't want to see that, but I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to mention it. It might have been on the list of the worst films later ever on this, this planet, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Something else that I'd like to point out before we get into it. I always re-listen to the previous year's roundup whilst I'm preparing for the upcoming years. I think one thing that really struck me listening to the review of 2021 for the review of 2022, is exactly how much the film industry was still being affected because of the pandemic. You know, when we were talking about certain films that we were looking forward to this year, there were half a dozen of them that weren't even released and are still waiting. And then there was the one that we were looking forward to, Batgirl, which got shelved because, well, yeah. So it's interesting to to see that the, even now there's still the film industry is still feeling the effects of that. But some films have finally made their way out, which is really really good. And some films we probably wish hadn't. But <laughs> we we'll get on to that one. Who fancies going first? Ooh. I don't mind going first. I'll I'll Ooh. happily chuck in one that. Uh, the good, yeah? Let's get the good. Let's get the good and then we'll get to the dirty stuff at the end. The nitty gritty. Oh, yes. <laughs> Come on then, hit me with a right. good film, sir. Okay. I want to preface this just by saying technically I did see this film in twenty twenty one, but I also saw it again in twenty twenty two, so therefore it counts. Ah, um, what? So Yeah, yeah, I saw it I saw it twice in the cinema, which goes to show how much I enjoyed it. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay, yeah. yeah. Technically that came out before Christmas last year, but okay, yeah. But we didn't review it. No, we didn't. uh, Because when we recorded, it hadn't actually been released, and I did see it just before Christmas, and then I saw it again in January last year, because that's how much I enjoyed it. All right, don't worry. In terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe offerings, of last year. For me, it's the strongest of the ones that I saw. I'm not really going to overanalyze it, apart from I really, really enjoyed it. And I think it's one of the strongest uh, MCU, if not MCU adjacent films. I absolutely loved the film, but it was just such a joyous thing to watch. Seeing the other two Spider-Man turn up was just a, a, a ball. It was, it was what surprised me. Did the other two Spider-Men turn oh, up? spoiler. If you haven't seen that now, then you're in trouble. Good God, also, James Bond <laughs> dies. So, <laughs> apparently, we won't get onto that again. 
No, it was brilliant. It was it's absolutely J.K. Brilliant. Simmons turn up. Uh, look, 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 here's the thing, right? Yes, here's the thing. It doesn't matter that all that cool multiverse stuff happens. What's brilliant about it is it doesn't need the other two Spider-Men to turn up for it to be a good film anyway. It was a good film, a great film, even before that all happened. That was just the icing on the cake for me. And it wasn't Absolutely. so much Maguire. For me, I don't know about you boys, but it was um, Andrew Garfield getting a proper ending, getting a, a third yes. act. Yes, very much so. And we got answers to his, his character and um, what happened after he lost Gwen and all that. And it was just like, oh, God. Mm. And that mirror in Did... really saved MJ was just like, yes! Yeah. When I went to see it the first time, the a round of applause that uh, everyone kind of kept, broke out in when Andrew Garfield was revealed was just joyous. Yeah. Even though for months it had been, he'd been, I mean, he's got the worst poker face ever, let's be fair. As has Tom Holland. But, you know, fair, fair dues to them. They, 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 they at least tried to play the game on, oh, no, 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 the other Spider-Men are not turning up. The one thing that I enjoyed also with it was the return of both Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina yes. as Green Goblin and Doc Ock. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it is, I'm sure I've said this before, but uh, it is my humble opinion that Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is one of the best comic book villains pre presentations on screen. Ever. Uh, so to have him back was was really... Again, really spot on and really well written as well. Really well written. All the yeah. characters made sense. Everything that was going on made sense within the uni all three universes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that was my first one. Uh, who wants to go next? Go on, Matt. Oh, go on then. Um, you did mention this, Reese, and I did manage to watch it. The fact that I forgot that I watched it, watched it is a glowing review, but I did watch it. This is um, the good The right? Northman. I know, that's a good start, isn't it? I forgot I watched this film. But yeah, The Northman. Gladiator with Vikings and loads and loads of blood is oh. how I would pitch this film. Right, I need to watch this film then. There is absolutely no subtlety to this film whatsoever. I mean... I mean, if, if subtlety and low key is your thing, move along, not. sunshine. It's this not. is not the film for you. <laughs> absolutely not. It's it's brilliantly brilliantly over the top. This is how over the top it is. Bjork turns up as a seer at one point. <laughs> of course Fair she enough. does. Of course she does. Fair I just enough. want to make a point about the gore because you watch some films and just the gore in this film is just like, oh yes, it it's just. It's so satisfyingly gory. <laughs> there is, there is a mate. I mean, there's an axe in someone's head every five minutes. <laughs> it is pretty fair. And, and in my personal favourite bit is where Alexander Skarsgård headbutts a guy's face to mush. Repeatedly headbutts a guy's face until it's soup. Oh, That's the levels of indeed. gore we are talking about in this film. Oh, I need to see it's this It's amazing. Right, I need to see this film. <laughs> but it does look stunning too, not just the gore. Um, <laughs> the visuals are bleak, monochrome throughout, but the scenery is gorgeous. Lots of clear night skies and starlight. It, it, it needs to be seen on 4K and the biggest screen you can find. My only criticism is... Some of those shots, dear Lord, they're long. When you're panning across, it's like, we guess it. The scenery is lovely. Can we, it's vast. Can we, we move along now, please? <laughs> it's vast. I get it. 
It's, it's vast. It's vast open scenery. I get, I get it. it. And the opening shot where you have a Viking yelling right in front of the camera, doing a battle cry for what feels like a good minute. And you're like, okay, all right. This is welcome to the film. Welcome to the Northman, everyone. Yeah, it, um, it, it, it could be shorter, but it still, it still doesn't ruin it. It, the Northman's a great ride. It's, it's not a Hollywood blockbuster with a rousing score, all about writing wrongs. This is this is dirt under your fingernails, where the the kind of the highest honor is to die in battle, soaked in the blood of your enemies. And if that's your cup of tea, give it a go. I'm in. I'm all over it. <laughs> it's not Gladiator. If you're expecting Gladiator, it is the anti-Gladiator. Well, I, I, I will give it a go. It's on my list. Okay, you've sold it to me just on that one sentence alone. <laughs> Tez is going to give it a go as well, though. All right. I'm going to go straight in with... It's not my top... I don't know. It might, might be. For me, this year has been tough because, to be honest, most of the streaming stuff has been better than most of the cinema. But that's another whole other podcast. I'm just going to go straight in with it. Um, it's a film that's about 30-odd years since the original. It has no right to be as good as it was. It's a sequel oh, we never knew we actually wanted or needed. That's Top Gun Maverick. Oh my! Oh damn you, giddy ants! That film is absolutely phenomenal. It is a tour de force of Tom Cruise, where he is in his career right now, and the powerhouse of a producer and and everything from him, and then having you know. And it's even credited as Don Simpson production and Jerry Bruckheimer. Having Bruckheimer Productions behind it as well. And then the director who did Tron Legacy and Oblivion, another underrated sci-fi film starring Tom Cruise, involved visually. Visually, it's um, insane. Just the visuals. Just, just, and also the technology of... Because when you watch it, you've got to remember that it's not a, a green screen behind him. It's not fake room no, like the original. No CGI it's, in sight. It's small digital cameras 4k cameras with decent lenses inside a cockpit where he's pretty much flying a jet it's just insane and then what's but what sets it apart for me it's one of the best sequels ever made and i'll put that statement out there i mean that it's it, the storyline to aliens yeah, yeah it's the yeah. storyline it's the plot it's about it's about mm. yeah it's called top gun maverick it is about maverick it's it's what what happens to this guy that has given his entire life and his entire career and his entire adult life to the Navy, to the Air Force. And it's that, it's the storyline, it's the plot. And then, yes, Miles, uh, Miles Teller is in it and he plays Goose's son, which is a little bit contrived, if you think about it. But in the end, you just go with it with this film and it can it does massively work. So this is linked, massive link to the first film. And yes... I had a lump in my throat when Val Kilmer turned up in the film and how oh. they wrote him in was beautifully yes. done. It's so well done. I, I, I don't want to go, to, I don't want to talk too long because we, we haven't got time tonight. But I, yeah, I, I watched it just before Christmas in preparation for this podcast because I haven't had a chance to, to watch as much films this year as, as I would have liked. Nothing bad, but I've, I've had a little girl. But like that's what happened. So life gets in the way in a good way. But for once, not like the last two years with pandemic. <laughs> so I, I sat down and watched this film one night. And you know what? My only criticism about this film is like, I wish I'd seen it on the big screen because it, it, 
oh, it's visually stunning. It's visually amazing. It's well written, so well directed, and just so well shot. It's breathtaking. I don't know if you if you've seen it, you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Oh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick. For a long time, my favorite film of the year. Oh, for a very long time, that was my favorite film of the year. Interesting. That that statement has now changed. <laughs> right, I'm going to go on a different, slightly different tack now for uh, for my second choice. It was a film that I saw again through streaming, but the reason I saw it through streaming is because it had such a quick turnaround from being in the cinema to actually appearing on a streaming site that uh, my brain kind of went, "Oh well, I'm not going to race to go to the cinema because I can see it at home in about two weeks' time." But it was a thoroughly delightful uh, 1950s set murder mystery called See How They Run. It is based all around the Mousetrap, the long-running Agatha Christie theatre play. So the, the setup of it is, is that an American film producer wants to make a film of the Mousetrap. Not far afterwards, the uh, producer ends up dead. So the police... Uh, led by the wonderfully will-weary uh, Sam Rockwell in the lead role, doing a very good British accent, which I didn't realise he was capable of. He and his less experienced but much more enthusiastic partner, played wonderfully by Saoirse Ronan, are there to investigate what's actually happened. It is stunningly well made. The performances throughout are absolutely immense. I will point one out in particular, because right at the very end of the play, <laughs> right at the very end of the film, they actually put Agatha Christie in as a character. The, the final section of it actually takes place in Agatha Christie's drawing room, which is uh, just tells you everything you need to know about the film. It's funny, it's very well written, it's very well plotted. It is a good Sunday afternoon film, and I would heartily recommend it. I saw this advertised the same as you. I was really surprised how quickly that turned up on that streaming site, and I will now have to yes. watch it on that streaming site. I think you'll really enjoy it, mate. I think you'll, I think you'll really, you'll just settle back, and uh, you can let it, you can let it go, and you, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Marvelous, right, Matt? Back to me. All right, uh, I'm going to go highbrow with this one. Ooh. You'd think I know how this works by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, I'm going to go highbrow with this next one. I'm going to go with a documentary. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> right before oh. Reese sends us crashing down to earth with his next film choice. <laughs> I'll have to think wisely now, won't I, to follow this? <laughs> how are you going to follow this? Um, hopefully it'll turn up. I don't know, maybe BBC will show it, because I don't know how else you'd see it. But um, Doctor Who Am I? Ah, yeah. I want to see this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really lovely film. Um, for those who don't know about it, Matthew Jacobs is the screenwriter for the Paul McGann Doctor Who the movie, and after the initial reactions to the film, he disowned it, turned his back on Doctor Who, the Doctor Who fandom wanted nothing to do with it. Doctor Who Am I follows Jacobs as he attends his first ever Comic Cons and comes to terms with his mark on the the who the universe this this is a film about closure 
Jacobs is this gentle, self-deprecating Englishman who had a rough upbringing and growing up, Doctor Who was his escape from that. There are lovely scenes in this film. Jacob's speaking to Paul McGann and McGann comes across almost like this, this father figure to him. But also the fans who are, for the most part, they're, they're full of energy and they're so excited. And the best scene, the, the scene that made me roar was where you have Jacob's at a Comic Con and you've got this fan reeling off the list of all the things that are wrong with Doctor Who, the movie, going like, uh, I think you'll find, no, 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 no. And Jacob's just takes it. He sits there, smiles, nods, and just takes it. And yeah, if you are a fan of Doctor Who, if you're interested in Doctor Who in any way, massively would recommend Doctor Who Am I. It's, it's, it'll put a smile on your face. Really lovely film. I, I want to see that. Now, you, you, I was expecting a very different documentary than a documentary about Doctor Who, to be honest. I was expecting you to say something really highbrow then, and I was going to be worried about my next film choice. But following a documentary about Doctor Who, I'm going to chill out now and just choose a film at random that I want to talk about quite happily. <laughs> but I do want to see that documentary. I've got to say, I absolutely love this film. Uh, it's called The Lost City. It is basically about a reclusive romance novelist on a book tour with a cover model gets swept up in a kidnapping attempt that lands them both in a cutthroat jungle adventure. That's the blurb on the poster. Okay, it's directed by Aaron Adam Lee that I have never heard of. I've not really heard of many of their projects that they've done before this, but their next project is Masters of the Universe. So they're doing all right as a, as a directing duo, to be fair. <laughs> what... I really liked about this film was it, it was fun, it was frothy, the adventure was great. It reminded me of a 1980s film, Romancing the Stone. It harks back to that and uses a lot of the tropes in that, which again was basically uh, a romance novelist who ends up on an adventure very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is pretty much the same template, but Sandra Bullock is really good in it. She, she plays the main role. And then Channing Tatum is uh, not the love interest. He's the, the guy that basically is the model on the front covers of her books. And the adventure starts off at a, a writer's convention of her books. And everything goes weird from there and she's kidnapped. But they introduce uh, a character played by Br Brad Pitt, who's a mercenary that's hired to get her back. And Pitt is in heaven in this role. He's basically like um, Rambo on acid. He's just like, like <laughs> it is like imagine Rambo but comedic, or you know Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible but comedic, and just like just know knows he's awesome, and anything he touches and shoots and directions, it's just kind of comical. The other thing about, <laughs> about this film that's just so much fun is the villain. The villain of the piece isn't like a regular written villain it's not you know a drug lord of Colombia, or it's not you know or uh someone rich who wants to own the world or something it, it's basically a spoiled little rich boy um from kind of like a facebook kind of generation who's trying to get this lost <laughs> city gold and it's played by daniel radcliffe who is phenomenal in the role. He's surrounded by mercenaries that are basically there because they're being paid to, which makes it brilliant and just even more comical. He's also uh, a villain who's trying to be a supervillain, which is hysterical. It's just such a just wonderful romp. That's the word. It's a proper romp. And it does feel like like Jewel of the Nile or Romance in the Stone on it's got that kind of like 80s kind of vibe of just fun and, and 
and adventure, you know, an escape, pure escapism. Yeah, that's that's just a, such a fun film that really captured me this year. For my last choice of a film that I'd like to feature is going to be something I saw a couple of weeks ago. It's gearing up, obviously, for award season time. So, you know, kind of I, I come out of my cave, I've started my uh, spreadsheet again. Uh, and this is a film that is being mentioned an awful lot. And I can see why. It's Martin McDonald's latest film. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed his previous films in Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And his streak of dark... T- dark twisted comedy follows with this latest one which is the banshees of inner sheeran set in the irish civil war 1923 i never thought i would ever utter the words colin farrell deserves to be nominated for an oscar but here we are he's brilliant as a quite lovable everyman called porig whose best friend on the island stops talking to him one day and just won't tell him what's wrong, won't tell him what he's done. And the entire island, because it's one of those small insular places. Imagine Craggy Island only, like, hopped up to, like, 20. The entire island are are kind of taking sides in this (laughs) bizarre argument that isn't an argument. It's that whole thing of, it's just like, oh, like, he's not talking to me. It's like, well, what have you done to him? I haven't done anything. You must have done something. Like, oh, he's always been a bit weird that kind of thing and it just escalates into this really quite alarming kind of set of circumstances basically his his friend who is played brilliantly by brendan gleason reunited the two from from in bruges and it, it's a wonderful pairing uh, he basically tells Farrick tries to speak to him again he will cut one of his fingers off <laughs> and every time he tries to speak to him he will cut another one of his fingers off that's how seriously he doesn't want this friendship to continue anymore. And it's it's dark. It's a dark, dark comedy. Brilliantly scripted, beautifully performed throughout. There are four performances, awards bodies. So it's uh, Farrell, Gleason, and then you've also got the supporting performances by Carrie Condon, who plays Porrig's sister, Siobhan, who is kind of a voice of reason within the madness. Uh, but she's got her own kind of thing going on. And then a lovely performance by Barry Keegan, who plays, I don't want to call him the village idiot, because he isn't really, but he's a troubled young man who lives on the island and he's mistreated by his father, but he's kind of friends with Porig and, and not. Um, it's a lovely, very bittersweet turn from him. I would recommend going to see it, and I'd recommend seeing it on a big screen because it's been shot on the Irish coast, on these islands, just off the Irish coast, and it's brilliantly stark. I really enjoyed it. I could see why it's getting a lot of awards love. I'd love to see it do really well. And uh, I think it's not going to be for everyone's taste, but I really liked it. It's me again, isn't it? It is it's you again. again yeah. last one. It's back to me. Back to back me. to you. My favourite film of 2022, Pinocchio, but it's the Guillermo del Toro version. Thank God you said that. I was about to reach through the screen and slap you. Well, Mm. (laughs) we'll come to that later, Tez. We'll come to that later. Spoilers, spoilers, Mm. dear. (laughs) If you like your Pinocchio with added fascism and horror, this film is for you. (laughs) 
And who amongst us does not like and that? Who, who does love a bit of fascism and horror, eh? Hey? Do you know what this like, needs? Fascism and horror. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Disney, this is most certainly not. So if you're not aware of um, Del Toro's um, Del Toro's latest, when Geppetto's son dies in an air raid at the end of the First World War, Pinocchio becomes the cursed, tragic replacement. This is about as far from Disney as you can get. Oh my god! <laughs> this this <laughs> this. Why are we laughing at such dark material? Um. This film gets the Pinocchio story absolutely right. This isn't a tale about schmaltz and fake sincerity. Pinocchio wants to be a real boy in a world that is cruel and frightening and cold. It, this is a heartachingly beautiful and sad film. You will cry, guaranteed you will cry watching this film. Don't let the nippers watch this one. Don't let your, your little ones watch this one. It'll traumatise them, especially when Pinocchio comes to life. It's ba basically recreating Frankenstein. <laughs> and also horrifying. Well, well this um, sounds like an interesting watch. The stop-motion technology, though, is it's sublime. Pixar uses computer animation to bring the emotion to the faces of its characters. Here, it's all handmade. You, you can't help but marvel at it. Every single one of Geppetto's hairs on his head moves. This film took over a decade to make, and you can see why when you just see the detail that is going on. Like I said, fascism is the order of the day here. <laughs> By Pinocchio wanting to be like, his, like Geppetto's son, Carlos, who tragically dies, rather than a person in his own right, Geppetto sets Pinocchio on this really dark path. Special mention to Ewan McGregor, who plays um, Sebastian J. Cricket, and he gives the, he really gives the film its heart. It's it's if you could give an actor an Oscar for a vo vocal performance, give it to Ewan McGregor because he is he is the heart of this film, and it is it's a spectacular watch. It's amazing, amazing film. Well, I have to give that a go then because you know that's what I like in my films is a splash of violence and slightly fascism. <laughs> fascism and horror fascism and what horror. we all want from our from our fairy tales <laughs> Reese, it's your last one mate okay and uh, it's going to be a choice that you're going to be very surprised at because all three of my choices tonight have not got any superheroes in them oh Ooh. the first time probably in about five or six years again it was a streaming film it went straight to streaming again it was uh, on the flicks of net and it was a film that came out earlier in the year, and it's called The Adam Project. Ah. Yeah, yeah which, I remember that. The blurb is quite simply, after accidentally crash-landing in 2022, time-travelling fighter pilot Adam Reed teams up with his 12-year-old self for a mission to save the future. So basically, starring Ryan Reynolds, he ends up going back in time to when he's 12 years old, teams up with himself as a 12-year-old boy, to try and sort out his own, uh, the whole timeline of the universe. Um, and 
it's uh, a supporting cast. Uh, Walker Scobell, who's the young boy, is fantastic. He's not an annoying bratty actor. He's a fantastic young man. Really, really good in the role. And really believable as a young Ryan Reynolds, which would be a hard thing to kind of, you know, figure out. Because mm. as ever, Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds in this film. Uh, who, again, is a leading guy in this. And he's fantastic. Uh, but the supporting cast is really great as well. You've got Mark Ruffalo, who plays their dad, who in... in, in who actually is the guy that invents time travel and ergo that's why it's quite centered on ryan reynolds character to try and save the day and then you've got jennifer garner who plays uh, his mum that she's fantastic and you've got zoe saldana who's also from the future and is his love interest in the future that's all complicated and indeed to quote doctor who timey-wimey as hell but what i really like about this film other than its sci-fi and its time travel and yes they deal with time travel in a right, sensible, logical manner. But also... Right. Also... <laughs> yes, I did put that in. Also, what's fantastic about the film is, is the direction, is the visuals, is the plot, is the story. It's the, there's so much heart in this film, and I won't spoil it, there's so much heart in this film that it is not insipid and it's just so well written. It's so lush and well-rounded and well-balanced of a, of a fun action sci-fi romp with a heart like it's it's I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why it's really good it's because it's directed and produced uh from sean levy who's one of the exec producers of stranger things so when i say this film has an 80s aesthetic and has a soul i think we know it's from the guy from stranger things yes indeed it is um, also, he's the guy that directed Night of the Museum. He did Free Guy, which was a team up with Ryan Reynolds, and he's going to be directing Deadpool Three. So it's it. I can't heartily tell you enough. Watch it. Press play on the button. It was it was made exclusively for the flicks and net, uh, and it's such a fun fun film. Um, I've got a couple of very quick honourable mentions that I'd like to throw in. Literally, this is just uh, films that I saw that I liked. Because start off with the tragedy of Macbeth, the uh, oh, Joel Denzel Cohen Washington. version, the Denzel Washington one, yeah. absolutely superb. I am going to mention everything everywhere all at once. Uh, it wasn't just Doctor Strange that went on a, a voyage through the multiverse. Michelle Yeoh did it as well, and may I say, kind of did it better. There are two more that I'd like to put out. Uh, both sequels, both sequels we don't technically need, but really enjoyable. Uh, Hocus Pocus two and oh, Enola so Holmes two. Both really enjoyable, lots of fun. Uh, and the last one I want to mention is something Reese has, has mentioned that he wants to see. Uh, heartily recommend. Definitely go and see it. Uh, definitely check it out. It's Glass Onion. Okay, uh, cool. Superb, well-plotted murder mystery. Good, because next on my, my watch list, literally the next thing I'm going to press play on. Uh, honourable mentions cool. I'll, I'll quickly put in there on top of that is uh, Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt. That's an old-fashioned action film uh, from David Leach, the director of John Wick, Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde. Uh, I'd heartily recommend Jurassic World Dominion. Um, go with it. It actually is a lot of fun. As long as it's the, as long as it's the last one, it will be. It's, it's, it's a good bookend. Uh, it's the sixth film about dinosaurs. I know, but go with it. It's fine. It's it's not the worst film of the year. Fantastic Beast Three was was okay. Was good. Was fun. Doctor Strange Two was meh. It was okay. And I would heartily recommend going to watch Death on the Nile, starring Kenneth Branagh. Mm. So 
This year's Horror Roundup going to be a little bit different. You'll be pleased to hear it's going to be shorter than previous years. There won't be a top 10 because life sort of got in the way. So rather than Matt's top 10 horror films of the year, this one's going to be Matt's horror films that he saw that he thought were pretty decent. Matt's horror films that he saw that he thought were pretty decent. So we'll crack on. First one, Scream another Scream, I thought when this was announced, and it's just called Scream. But it turns out Scream 2022 is just what horror needed right now. This latest instalment is about the newest trend, which is legacy sequels or requels. As, as one character rants, Jurassic Park, Terminator, even Star Wars. And it's also about fan fury, how a beloved franchise doesn't just belong to the people who made it, it belongs to the people who watch the films and take them into their hearts. And when that franchise is disrespected by the studio, then it really hurts. Scream 2022 is by far the smartest, most fun Scream instalment since Scream 2. There is so much for horror fans to love here. And I'm so glad that Elevated Horror got a mention here. What a pointless, pretentious phrase. Horror films have been making people think since Nosferatu and the cabinet of Dr Caligari. The line, I still prefer the Babadook, I did have to pause when that, that line was said, made me roar. Also, the joke where the torch is literally, literally passed down. Amazing. Uh, while Wes Craven sadly doesn't direct this one as he passed away back in 2015 and Kevin Williamson also doesn't write the screenplay the spirit of Screen lives on and I'm excited to see what Scream 6 which is out later this year has to offer what next uh The Black Phone by Scott Derrickson now Scott Derrickson bailed on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and made this instead which if you've seen Doctor Strange 2 is is a smart move this is horror that will not only make you jump but get you right in the fields you will cry watching this derrickson takes joe hill's short story from the, the collection 20th century ghosts and puts flesh on its bones puts those ideas right under the microscope this is a rare case of where the film is miles better than the book the acting in this film is incredible i can't overstate it enough mason thames in his big screen debut is excellent Ethan Hawke is monstrous and frightening as the grabber, despite wearing a mask for virtually the entire film. He does this clever thing where he takes off either the top half or the bottom half and swaps it depending on what mood he's in, what's going on inside his messed up mind. It's amazing. And special mention to Madeleine McGraw as Finney's sister, also brilliant. This is horror with heart, with emotion. On the poster, I can't remember who said it, where they were from, but one critic described the black phone as Stand By Me Goes to Hell, and that's spot on. It's exactly right. My favourite film of 2022, favourite horror film? Nope, by Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, everything that man touches right now turns to gold. If you haven't been watching his Twilight Zone reboot, oh, you have to give it a go. It's ugh, There's not one Duff episode so far that I've watched. Not a single Duff episode. His follow-up to Get Out and Us, this is, once again, a very different beast. The less you know about Nope, the more you're going to enjoy it. Like Peel's previous work, Nope is very smart. It gets that brain matter working. Get Out was about race. Us was about the class system. Nope is about how, no matter what danger we find ourselves in, we always, every time, first thing we do, we stop and we stare. 
Nope has the jolts to keep horror fans happy. And oh, I'm gutted I didn't watch this on IMAX because the visuals are oh so, so, so good. And it has plenty for film students to keep writing essays f- about for decades to come. Favourite film of favourite horror film of 2022, Nope by Jordan Peele, hands down. Right, now we're gonna talk about the bad. We've got we've got the good out of the way, which is normally the boring part of the programme. This is when the juicy stuff starts to happen and we start to have real discussions and real disagreements half the time about what we think is bad. <laughs> but I will say for the first time in a couple of years, not one of us, I think, has said anything that's going to be on anyone's bad list by the sound of it, because we all were glowing in response to what people um, mentioned. <coughs> oh, well. Well, well that's that's statement that statement steady on. Steady on. <laughs> yeah. First one on my naughty list. Here we go. Death on the Nile. Oh! oh okay, I see Let's move on. Go on. I just felt it was overstuffed and they changed too much unnecessarily. I have no interest in finding out why Hercule Poirot has a moustache. Certainly not anything that doesn't come directly from Agatha Christie. The design of it was beautiful, but it's a bit like what Stephen King said about the film of The uh, Shining. Is It looks like a beautiful Chrysler, but there's no engine underneath it. They changed far too much in the plot that didn't need to be changed. Some of the acting was, frankly, very ropey and generally a big disappointment because Death on the Nile is my favourite of the Poirot novels. So I felt really very let down by it. So you're really looking forward to the third one that's coming then? I am not going to watch the third one, I don't think. Oh, really? If it turns turns up on streaming, I might, but I'm certainly not going to go seek it out. Did you enjoy Murder on the Orient Express, that that version? Up to a point, yes, but again, they changed bits that didn't need to be changed. For instance, with that one, film kind of absolutely fizzled out when they actually got off the train. The whole point of it is that they're meant to be trapped. They're not meant to be able to go out and have a little stroll. No, no bueno. Uh, Same podcast all in itself. Same with uh, same with on (laughs) Death on the Nile. Just some of the things they changed, some of the things they added, were just completely unnecessary. And I, yeah, I kind of sat there and I was like, okay, fine, no, no. Seeing Poirot as a sad boy and why he's got a moustache, it's like I don't care. I didn't. I didn't. Yes, I, I, I thought. I thought that was a bit shit. Actually, I didn't. I, I was like, "What are they doing?" But the rest of it, I really enjoyed. No. I liked French uh, Saunders. I thought they were perfectly cast. No, they weren't. They didn't need to. I, again, and also changing that relationship to a lesbian relationship. You think I'd be on board with that? Hang on a minute. Again, What's going on I, here? Just, I was just thinking, why have they done that? Because it doesn't need to be the case. And yeah, they just fiddled around too much with what is a good, a solid story as it stands. Didn't need the bells and whistles and this and that and the other changing to it. So they should have just left it, left it well enough alone. Fair, fair. So that's my first one. Yeah, we're off and running. <laughs> what I said oh, earlier completely yeah. out the window. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the therapy session has started. Let's 2022 go. therapy begin. <laughs> 
after all the onset drama and gossip, is this film any good? No, no, it's very much on the naughty list. And that film is Don't Worry, Darling. Visually, it's amazing. Um, blue skies, sun-kissed scenery, everything looks golden. Florence Pugh, she can do horror in her sleep. And she almost, almost manages to carry this film. But not even Florence Pugh is that good. The problem is the script. It's the only fun you're really going to have with the, with the film is playing the game of ticking off the horror film cliches. Oh, no. That's about it. We've seen it all before and it brings nothing new to the table, including the creepy laboratory that no one is allowed to go in. That's just one of the many, many cliches in this film. And then, oh, and then there's Harry Styles. Oh. Every generation has a performance that is so bad, so bad, that it will be mocked and ridiculed for decades to come. And that, my friends, is what Harry Styles does in this film. His acting is so bad, there are times where I personally wasn't sure if his character is supposed to be pouring his heart out or if he's just reading out the week's shopping list. <laughs> it's, it has to be seen to be believed. If you're going to watch Don't Worry Darling, what you need to do is you need to watch it drunk and you need to have a load of mates around with you and just piss yourselves laughing. It's, it's frankly the only way that you are going to get through this film. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to give it a try. I don't think I'll bother now. It sounds awful. Not unless I can get horrendously drunk, of course. Oh, dear, dear. It, it is it is hilarious it is if you if, for unintentional laughs it's amazing <laughs> you can have a drink and but get him out of it, is what you're saying I, I don't think olivia wilde really when she was making this film that's what she had planned but you know oh dear oh dear oh dear okay we'll start <laughs> off with the obvious morbius um oh we're going there Grace, did you learn? Have you learned nothing? Now, here's have the, you learned nothing from out. my agony over the last two years of watching the D, uh, the Sony fucking shitballs? The Sony Spider Verse movie, yeah. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing, hear me out, right? Hear me now. So, I avoided Venom 2 like the plague, and yes. I finally watched that Good. this year. Um, now, here's the thing. Now, these films were watched. This one was watched because in my back of my head, I was like, well, I'll give it a go because I'm going to be talking about crap on the podcast. So maybe this give me cannon fodder. Oh, only if I mm. knew. Um, <laughs> so this was not watched from a Reese point of view of like, I'm going to give this a go because it looks like a good comic book movie deep underneath. And it wasn't that at all. It was my uh, lovely little daughter was sleeping on me. It was half past one in the morning. I couldn't move. And Morbius was in front of me on the streaming site. So I pressed play. That's what happened. So also, Mark and I could do this. And that's also happened with how I finally ended up watching Venom 2 which is a whole other conversation, and that goes into last year's how bad a film should be. But this year, the top spot for me is Morbius. Let's, let's, let's just break it down. The film itself could have been an interesting look at the character, and 
no, I can't even do that. It's just absolute garbage. It's just absolute shit. It's literally 101 filmmaking from the 1990s. It's as if someone's looked at Spawn and gone, that's good. That's how I'm, how we should make superhero movies in 2022. That's basically what it's saying. It's literally so shit. It's so bad. It has a running time of an hour and 47 minutes. That's including about 15 minutes of titles. I clocked one hour, 27 minutes, and the credits start rolling. And that's mm-hmm. being generous because there's, a cu- there's literally two hidden scenes in the credits that are pointless. Mm-hmm. Right. Has everyone seen the trailer? Yes. I've seen more than the trailer, mate. I've seen it as well. You've seen and, it as well. Oh, God. Here's, here's yeah. one of my biggest gripes with the film is the trailer. Now, I saw the court case recently about um, uh, how trailers now have to be very careful and they can't um, false advertise because they'll be done Mm. in the future. Good. Because Michael Keaton is in the trailer. Michael Keaton is the end credit reveal. Yes. That's all he's in it. Um, Yeah. And they put him in the trailer to help sell the film and attach it to the MCU. Oh my god! So the film is that bad. They use the end credit sequence with a nice, cool cameo to fluff up to get people in the seats. People still didn't go. They knew what was in there was in here. The film is so bad. It's so badly directed, and I don't understand how because it's by it's directed by Daniel Espinosa, who did Child Forty Four and Safe House, which are both very different genres and very both good films in their own right. They're not great, but they're okay. They're good. They're not this piece of shit. Jared Leto in this role. Oh, my God. I don't think Miss Piggy could ham up more than this man. It was utter (laughs) dire shit. He's literally got long hair so he can be kind of quirky. That's not Mm. a characteristic. That's a hair length. Um, Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, he... Ooh. There's no... There's no characterization when he's going through physical, emotional, mental changes due to him having vi- vampiric things going on, and his body is there's no dysmorphization. There's nothing there. It's just, it's just oh, I may have killed some people. Yo, I'm so oh oh oh. I'm so, yeah. It's like watching Neil from the Young Ones develop vampirism. It's absolutely <laughs> shit. I will say, though, Matt Smith, who plays the villain, and the the villain character is actually really interesting, and it's a really interesting idea behind the character of the villain, and Matt Smith does what he can, and he's really good in the role, in a shit role, in a shit film. Now, yeah, he does, his, he does his best with what he's given, but what he's given isn't worth that is terrible. what he's got. He, no. he lifts the film slightly, but that's like, you know, a buoyancy aid on a dead fish. It's... <laughs> terrible i mean yeah. right i'll give you this this is this is this i could i could oh i'm not gonna go on forever but this film is fucking gutter shit but the worst part about this film isn't the cgi isn't the bad plot isn't the bad female character who's just there to be a female character they had do you know what a really good cast they had jared harris in this film yep right now they did he basically is playing a walking father figure who does nothing. He does nothing throughout the entire film other than be Matt Smith, Jared Leto's father quotation figure. 
That's it. That's all he does. That's all he does the entire film. You literally wouldn't notice if they removed every bit of him and cut it out of the film. The only thing you'd notice is the film ended 15, 20 minutes earlier. He does nothing. He's such a great actor. Like, literally, he must have gone... Yeah, right then. And just turned up for work. Like, <laughs> like anyone, a, a, a plant with a hat on could have played that role. Honestly, God, Matt, this film is worth watching just to be frustrated by it and realise just how shit Hollywood is at the moment. And I can't going to stop now. Tez, say, go. And add. Oh, Morbius was just dreadful. Uh, again, I watched it on the whole thing of... Fodder. Well... <laughs> It's there to watch, so I did, and, and I really wish I hadn't. So, oh, dreadful, 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 dreadful film. But whilst we're on the subject of dreadful superhero movies, I'm just going to throw this one in there. Thor, Love and Thunder. Jeez, That's Louise. Oh, I haven't watched that either. Didn't I don't... I take no pleasure in what I'm about to say. I think it's safe to say that we are we are going through the period now where the MCU is starting to get a fair bit of backlash. Uh-huh. Some of it well deserved, uh, some maybe not so much. The, again, I think that's a that's just something for another time. Huh. But of the offerings from the MCU this year, this was by far the worst. The tone of it was so completely all over the place yeah. that it leaves you wondering what the hell they were thinking about. There are the, the the tonality of it, the swings between the very real world, very serious ramifications of Jane's illness. The, tonally, it jars. It's all over the place. At some points, you know, it's trying to be funny and it just doesn't fail to the point where when we were watching it, because it's so outlandish and so over the top and it's framed as uh, Korg is telling uh, a group of kids a story. Yeah. The thought came to us uh, was, is it this over the top and OTT because it's Korg telling the story of what it was? I think that was, and the, he's obviously going to over egg it. I think that's the design. No. But then you realise that there's scenes happen that Korg was nowhere near to see anything happening. No, like, well, how would he absolutely. Know and it's still, but it's still that heightened kind of big woo. And it's like, no, 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 it doesn't work. <laughs> they wasted Christian Bale. They did waste. Yeah, that's on my list. That's on my notes. I keep going, sister. Go. <laughs> yeah, they wasted Christian Bale. What the fuck was going on with Russell Crowe's so-called Greek accent? That was dreadful. Yes. The whole Hercules setup was like nonsense as well. Like, what's this? <laughs> right. I'm just going to say this now, because this is something that I've been thinking for over the last couple of Marvel films that I've watched. The films themselves don't seem to be doing anything other than getting to the end credit scene and setting up the next thing that's happening. Yeah, they're just trying to get to phase, what is it, five is next? They're trying to get to phase, phase five. five. That's what they're like, trying to do. Well, like or Eternals. Disney Plus. Yeah. Eternals, right? Oh, God, that's terrible. There is very little point to that entire film apart from the two end credit scenes, which are introducing Star Fox and Blade, although we're probably never going to get to see Blade. Right, anyway. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like there, there's anything of substance within the films themselves they're literally just waiting to throw that little sting on at the end i personally do not want to see another thor film no i would be happy to see thor involved in something like 
you know, kind of the upcoming Avengers films. But I do think, yeah, but I do think now it's time to to draw a line under that. There's a reason they've only ever done one fourth film in its in in a self-contained character, Mm. and this is why you don't do it. You leave it as a trilogy and move on. Yeah, not including Captain America because that's new Captain America. Yeah. But I, I was very disappointed with this, and it's a shame because it had it had some good, it had some very good bits in it, but they just get lost amongst everything else that's going on in it. And uh, yeah, I was I was rather uh, rather annoyed at it. I agree completely. And again, Matt, watch it because it'd be interested to know your point of view. I, it's on my list, and everything, every bullet point you've you've hit, I've hit, I've got the same bullet point. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> right, so Matt, what have you got? I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. One of us Yowzers. had to say that this year. One of us had to say it. One of, we all, one of us always <laughs> ends up saying this. Okay, Matt, hit, mm-hmm. hit us. Oh, there'll be folk listening to this going, oh, you wanted a macho, macho, trashy action film like the original Predator. No, no, <laughs> I just, I just wanted a decent film. That's all I wanted. I wasn't asking for much. I just wanted a decent film. Um, Prey, yeah. After all the hype and everything, and people could turn around, I was like, it's a new Predator film, it's a new Predator film. Uh, Predator 5, right, yeah. Um, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this film is an hour and 40 minutes long with credits. Uh, here we go. And it, it, it's it's not that long. It's really not that long, and yet it feels so slow. So, long. so slow. Every other shot is a wide of the America of the North American plains, or you've got the Comanche tribe all wandering around looking moody. Every now and again, they show you a shot of the predator just to remind you that you're watching a predator film. <clears throat> it, and I, I get one of my biggest gripes is I get that Prey is what about two hundred years before the original Arnie film, but why? Why? I, I, I'm not. I, I, you know, I said I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. No, I am getting angry now. Yeah, very angry. Why is the Predator so thick in this film? It, it is so thick. It's like there are moments where the Predator is bitten or it gets a gouge out of its arm or its leg, and you just think, no, the Predator would have sussed that. Why? What? What? And even the end, how the Predator is bumped off, you're like, okay, it's clever, but the Predator would have figured that out. Why? What? What? Um, If this is meant to be a Predator who is new to the game, who is wet behind the ears, then you need to explain that. And the film doesn't do that. You're just there going, yeah, it's not the Predator. It's a Predator film, and it's not the Predator. A Predator film that was dull. I mean, it's never a good sign when I pause the film to find out how much longer I've got left. That's not good. Ooh, That's not good. That isn't good. Matt, can I ask I mean, a quick question? Go on. Uh, would you rather watch again Prey, Aka, Predator Zero, or The Predator? Or as I call it, the words Predator right out of my mouth. That was the last thing I was going to say. It's not as bad as the Predator. Thank God for that. But right. still, the the only decent sequel in the Predator franchise is Predator Two. Agree. After that, forget it. Agree. 
there's only been two Predator films. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I said it. I wasn't going to get angry, and I got really angry there. I got, I got to say something though. When I was researching and looking at like the list for the tonight's show, I had forgotten that I watched Prey this year. <laughs> I think that says a lot. That does. It is very forgettable. I absolutely, very I completely forgot I watched that film, and it's a predator <laughs> film. It's a predator sequel. And I forgot <laughs> it happened. Yeah, I don't, I, I can, I'm not going to continue that rant because I, I agree with you. You'd think from the director of Zombieland, you'd be in good hands with Ruben Fleischer or however you say his name, but you weren't. This film came out in the cinema, and I'm I'm a big gamer. I've not played this game series, but I was interested in this film when it was advertised for a couple of reasons. A, because it was obviously going to be a prequel to the game because of the age of the character, the actor they hired for the job. And also it was the first venture from Sony uh, PlayStation uh, branch of filmmaking. They're pushing out stuff which PlayStation owns. That is Uncharted, based on the video game uh, Uncharted. If you mm-hmm. don't know what Uncharted is, it's about Nathan Drake, who's an adventurer, and it's a modern-day kind of Raise the Lost Ark uh, kind of vibe. And the game is very much Tomb Raider adventure kind of game. It's perfect for uh, a movie version, and this film version... <sighs> right, there's two things going on here. I know enough about the game that the film is wrong. So I can be pissed off with it for getting an adaptation completely fucking bork. But Hollywood always borks stuff up when it comes to adapting um, video games. Uh, so it's not a it's not a very good, it's a naughty video game uh, adaptation. Um, you can get around the fact that um, the main character in the video game is in his 30s. Tom Holland is in his 20s. So yes, this is a young Nathan Drake. This is where he meets Mark Wahlberg's character, Sally. And they become friends and they go on an adventure. Brilliant. Okay, fab. The thing that I when I was watching it, and I did watch this again with open mind, thinking, right, I've not watched enough this year of films. Let's see what we can watch. Well, I'll give that a go. Press go is my kind of bag. Uh, Lost City was a surprising romp and I enjoyed it. Let's see if this is any good. Now I I'll tell you the thing with this film is I'm not I'm not I'm not even pissed off of it that much. I'm not even that angry about it. I'm not even like um I should have known better and not even bothered watching it is what's, what the problem with this film is. What's so wrong about this film is how fucking lazy it is. It, it, it does two things. Uh, it takes uh, an action sequence from Uncharted 4, because I researched this, and that's the main big ending of the movie, which involves two helicopters carrying two old pirate ships in the air and characters jumping between the two of them and having fights and all kinds of swingy mad stuff going on and I thought that's insane that's an amazing set piece who came up with that oh yeah the game developers did <laughs> <laughs> that's actually quite a cool thing to see and obviously it's a big OTT film get that out of your head if you try and watch this the main thing that really fucked me off about this film was it absolutely ripped off James Bond and try to pass it off as it own, and it's in the trailer. The film uh, Ergo Spoiler starts uh, with an action sequence that takes place about two thirds of the way film, and we—it's one of those things that like they show you a bit of an action sequence, then it goes oh fucking three weeks earlier, and then you start the adventure, and then we carry on and we get to that action sequence, and then you flip it and see it from a different point of view. Really clever, well directed, not. 
The thing that's really bad about this action sequence is it is literally ripped straight from A Living Daylights with a little dash of Fast and Furious 6. But the biggest ripoff is Living Daylights with James Bond, where he's got uh, hanging from the back of a plane on a cargo net fighting. Well, they've, they've basically taken that James Bond action sequence and then modernised it, quotation marks, and then put loads of action into it. The other thing that's really annoying about this film is someone needs to tell, tell Tom Holland that he's not playing Spider-Man in this film. Because all he does in this film is swing around on webs, fighting crime, and it's like, you're playing Nathan Drake, bud. You're not playing Spider-Man. And so like you've got the cargo net. Oh, we've got this great idea. We're going to have the cargo net hanging out of the plane. That's amazing. Oh, that's such a great action sequence. Oh, yeah, he's too young to have seen Living Daylight. He was probably a pube when it came out. That's what's basically what happened. <laughs> and then they've got him flying around, swinging around, jumping, slipping, slipping and sliding, web shooting. Yeah, so basically Tom Holland plays Peter Parker on an adventure in a video game that is not the action of the video game with action sequences ripped off from other franchises and the best action sequence is actually ripped off of the game which I suppose you could say well done in adapting something correctly however this is an origin story and you've taken it from the latest adventure of Nathan Drake there we go hmm <sighs> Did that feel good? Felt Did that feel good? Felt <laughs> Can you tell I've recently watched that one? They're like buses. You you, you want a film about Pinocchio? Two <laughs> come along at once. <laughs> you had Del Toro's uh, version of Pinocchio, and mm-hmm. then you had Robert Zemeckis's uh, version of Pinocchio. Right. Someone needs to tell Zemeckis to put down the CGI. No, Zemeckis, no more CGI for you. You've been a bad boy. Bad boy. <laughs> Visually, it's all right, but it's all, it's just sugary sweet and artificial. Like someone made a film of that It's a Small World ride at Disney World. It. You do know it's Disney's Pinocchio, right? Yeah, but the, the source material isn't Disney. It's um, can't think of the bloke's name. But this uh, film it was written. Disney's it was written by Pinocchio. Carlo Collodi. This is That's Disney's the one. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, right, hear me out. Hear me out. This film is a cash in, pure and simple. No one asked for this film. No one needed this film in their lives. Disney are just going through their back catalogue and just bastardising every single one. Every single one of them. Right. You could argue having Hanks and Zemeckis back together is the main draw of the film. But more than any other film Hanks has ever done, he sleepwalks through this. He didn't just phone in this performance. He didn't even bother to show up. That is how bad he is in this film. And what they have... um, What have they done to Jiminy Cricket? What have they done to Jiminy Cricket? I personally wasn't aware that I was watching the next instalment of the Alien franchise. He is the (laughs) stuff of nightmares in this film. Stuff of nightmares. Weird, right. Weirdly, this film feels too old for children. No kid watching this film is going to get the re- the references to TikTok and influencers, the, the references there. No kid is going to get that. But then it's too samey for adults. So who is this aimed at? Um, 
there's just something nasty and cynical and corporate about this film and it just leaves a really horrible taste in your mouth there rant over done. i didn't hate it i didn't think i didn't love it um I agree with you. It was, it was a little bit hollow, um, but I enjoyed it for what it was, which was like uh, a live-action version of Pinocchio. And you're right; they're going for the back catalog. Thing. That's a whole other pod- podcast. Um, but like, it's it's not as dark and weird as the Tim Burton Dumbo, I suppose. That was a bit poo, a bit naff, a little bit meh. I, they just need to stop. They really just need to stop. Disney, Disney, message from the watchers, please stop. Stop it. Just stop, just stop it. So, Reese, what's your last one to uh, have a good old rant about? I'm going to have a good rant about this, but I'm not going to go too far because um, I can't be bothered. It's that bad a film. Um, <laughs> um, it's a film that I... I, I uh, didn't want. I wanted the film that was originally going to be made with the same title, going to be written and directed by Ben Affleck. Then they decided oh. they were going to make uh, a different film, and then they decided they were going to cast someone else in the role of the Batman, and then they decided Robert Pattinson, which I heard this news, and like a spoiled, petulant uh, fanboy, I went, I beg your pardon. Um, yep. Felt very highly about it, of like, what the hell is this nastiness going on? So I thought, right, I'm going to go watch this film. And also I found out Matt Reeves did it, who's the worst hack on the planet. And then I thought, well, I better go and watch this film and have an open mind. So I did. I went with my wife and, and I went, went, wanted to have an open mind watching it. Um, and I've got to say, there was a lot. No, that's 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 not right. There, there, there was mostly no, no, no. There was some no. There was a minority, no, there was about 2% that I thought was okay. And the rest is absolute dog shit. So here we go. Here's the thing. <sighs> the Batman <laughs> is flawed as a film. And here's why. From, here's the basic reasons why. Yes, as a fanboy, finally to get a Batman detective film where the greatest detective finally does some detecting. He doesn't really. But he does some detecting in this film. Fantastic. And not just some weird, suddenly miraculous technology where, you know, you can get a fragment of a bullet out of a wall and suddenly it'll tell you which gun it came from, etc. None of that sci-fi bullshit, isn't it? It's really, you know, him on the ground investigating stuff. Yes, I agree with some people on that. Fine. But here's the thing. The film centres on the Batman, played by possibly the worst Batman actor to ever don the cowl. That includes mm. Val Kilmer. Now, that is saying something. Oh, my words. Robert Patterson doesn't play the Batman, and he doesn't play Bruce Wayne when he's playing Bruce Wayne. He's playing a petulant, annoying emo fine bruce is still grieving and apparently in this film he's the vengeance are you though are you <laughs> i don't think you could give out dish out vengeance in any way i don't believe you could kick anyone's ass never mind a super villain um 
So that's one big flaw in the movie. The main guy playing Batman can't play Batman. He can barely play Bruce Wayne. Terrible. <sighs> uh, Alfred is basically, uh, you know, Andy Serkis is, you know, really good in the role. He's fantastic as Alfred. But Alfred is just mistreated and used by Bruce Wayne all the way through the film. Just treated like, uh, well, treated like an evil stepdad. It's just a really badly written father-son relationship. The uh, Gordon in it is played fantastically uh, by Jeffrey Wright and he's brilliant in it. Uh, but Gordon, again, is just a bumbling idiot who I can't even solve a fucking case himself, um, which is ridiculous because Gordon can. The one thing I liked about the film was the depiction of Gotham City. Stylistically, it looked brilliant. There was lots of uh, harks back to 30 cinema and it looked miserable and horrible. To say that it, one of the best things about a film is its locations is telling you how bad a film really is. Don't be fooled and smothered by how good it looks. Also, the plot is really fucking weak. Um, the Riddler isn't the Riddler. He does a couple of riddles, and then half the time is spent just basically being a psychopath. There's nothing to him other than just giggling and slightly being annoying and, dare I say, trying too hard to be a psychopath like you see on Netflix documentaries. The rest of the film, it's a film... It's like a guy from film school watched the Nolan movies and went, I'm going to remake that, but yet my own way. That's what the film is, really. And then on top of it, it's way too fucking long. Like, Jesus Christ, it's nearly three hours and there's no need. Absolutely no need for the film to be that long. You could knock 45 minutes to an hour off the edit and just get a decent film out of this somehow, maybe. There's a car chase that goes on forever that is about as exciting as watching something not exciting. Like even talking about it just makes me feel not angry, just, ugh, it's just dire. And the, the, oh my God, and when you've got a really long movie, you don't need the ending, to the natural ending where this film has a natural ending, where the bad guy basically wins and it's a seven ending and to be honest, I was like, whoa, that's, that's brought this film up a level. Suddenly you can tell, you can literally tell where the suits got involved at Warner Bros. And went, oh, we can't have that. Can't have the bad guy win. We need another big action sequence to tidy it all up. And then they come up with this whole fabrication of this big explosion. And there's a big flood suddenly. And, and then Batman suddenly discovers that, wait a minute, he's not vengeance. He's a symbol of hope. No, 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 darling, you're not. Superman is the symbol of hope. You actually <laughs> are vengeance. You actually are an extremely angry man, but you're very intelligent, and all you want to do is punish the evildoers. That's who Batman is. And over time, your heart slowly warms up when you meet other people that you can help to be actually just as psychopathic as you. <laughs> That's basically Batman. You're not the symbol of hope. That's Kal-El, who lives in a different city that we might get to meet at some point. It's just tragic and awful 
and shit. There we go. Well, that's a great way to round things up, isn't it? <laughs> right, so that's the bad. Let's have a quick look at what's coming up in 2023, gentlemen. Uh, Matt, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, go for it. It's sequels, as always. <laughs> as ever. Scream 6. Hell I'm intrigued yes. to see where that's going to go. Hell yes. What they're going to do with that. James Gunn is back. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward um, to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sick to death of Marvel films now. I just feel like I've just had loads of cake and I just I can't eat cake anymore. But <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, yeah, looking forward to that. John Wick Chapter 4 yeah, is finally coming along. Uh, also, ooh, I, I, I want to see this in IMAX. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Hell yes. Tom Cruise and his fabulous teeth. Um, I'm also <laughs> going to chuck these two in here just because... Just because I want to see, I just want to see. I, I just want to see how the hell this is going to turn out. First one, Winnie Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, because <laughs> Disney no longer owns the rights to Winnie the no. Pooh. So someone came up with a bright idea of why don't we make Winnie the Pooh a slasher movie? Oh yes, yep. And also, just because the trailer is just amazing, Cocaine Bear. I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> it just if this if this film is not on my list for the best of 2023 i will be heartbroken frankly <laughs> reese how oh right um uh, okay gonna start with a couple that will feature heavily in award season so i'm really looking forward to them and all three of them have a theme which follows through them and they're all films about filmmaking so uh, they're all going to, you know, kind of the, the Academy absolutely eat that up. So first is The Fablemans, which is Steven Spielberg's kind of semi-autobiographical drama uh, based around his own family. I want to see that. The second is Empire of Light, which is Sam Mendes uh, directing with uh, Olivia Coleman as a cinema manager. The third one is Babylon, Damien Chazelle's uh, latest magnum opus about the early days of Hollywood in all of its debauchery and decadence so should be good moving on then to the other parts of the year i'm quite looking forward to seeing dungeons and dragons just yes. because i want to see how that works out on screen oh, um, it's better than the other one they did they've got a good decade or oh god yeah i'm also quite intrigued by uh ant-man and the wasp quantum mania uh not quite sure about it I'm interested to see how they start to bring in kang and and you know, kind of if how they deal more with the multiverse. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be more that I will have forgotten about, but uh, that's good to start with. I'll I've got a couple that I want to quickly add on. Uh, I've agreed, I've mentioned other ones that the boys have been saying that I want to watch, and I agree with them, so I'll get some similar tickets with you guys on those. Uh, Equalizer Free, uh, Denzel Washington is back as Robert McCall. Uh, unlike the terrible TV, move, TV series that's going on at the moment, this is uh, going to be class. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward, to, I am actually looking forward to Transformers Rise of the Beasts. The trailer looks amazing. It looks like it's generation one all the way, uh, 80s vibe, great, loving it. I'm looking forward to, of course, it's me, Fast X or Fast and the Furious 10 <laughs> part one yeah. or whatever it's called, but it's the fine one, the final two uh, Fast and the Furious movies being made at the moment. I'm actually intrigued by this one, uh, Expendables 4. 
Um, I'm intrigued because the poster has a big lineup and it says and Sylvester Stallone. So I think Barney is going to get killed off. And then I think um, Jason Statham is going to be the lead in the in the fourth one moving forward with them. Which is interesting because they're called Expendables. So you expect people to die. So we'll see what happens with that. That's in mm. September. I'm looking forward to June part two. Uh, mostly so we can have uh, a film that ends. Um and <laughs> no, I'm making fun of June Part Two. The first film was visually fantastic and obviously just ended. Now, the one I am absolutely giddy about for next year, and please don't suck, and we'll see how how I feel this time uh, at the end of the year when we start talking about uh, the review of 2023, and it is Indiana Jones: The Dial of Destiny. That's the one I'm absolutely can't wait for. Yeah. Right, that brings us up to the end. Let's go. Uh, I am. Leave it there. We'll leave it there. I'm massively looking forward to it. I thought the trailer looks so good. Well, there we go, ladies and gents. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2022. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you. And I hope that 2023 is a fantastic year for everyone. So this is The Watchers signing off and saying good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.